Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I think we're really working in a very dynamic time frame now with innovation of a level and a speed which is unprecedented. This has been the result of 400 scientists, $3 billion of research, and 10 years of focused effort in order to get us to a place where we can not only make the product, but that we can be confident that we've done the right science, that we've done the right testing in order to be sure that what we um, are offering um, really has a potential to reduce If you were hazarding a guess about what industry Tony Snyder was just talking about, you might say tech, maybe a pharmaceutical company, but you'd be wrong. Believe it or not, Tony is talking about big tobacco. The products he's referring to are new technologies Philip Morris International is creating to move toward what they call a smoke-free future. It's a surprising dream for a company that sold more than 812 billion cigarettes last year. And I'm Jenny Kaplan. Today on Material World, we're talking about how the $770 billion global tobacco industry has gone from a sleepy and stable business to a tech-focused arms race. I'm from a tobacco town, Durham, North Carolina, home of Bull Durham Tobacco, But I have to say, I'm really not that familiar with the tobacco industry. You cover this, Jenny. What's been happening? Let's start with what tobacco innovation used to look like. It's been slow, to say the least. Tony Snyder, who you heard at the top of the show, is the vice president for communications at Philip Morris International. He's worked in a variety of roles at that company for as long as I've been alive. Well, I guess if you take a a view back to the 1950s, you could say there's really only been three major innovations in cigarettes. One was filters, next was a flip-top box instead of a soft pack, and the last big one was probably flavor capsules, where you're able to really change or modify the taste, have a product which is non-menthol, switching to menthol, um, for example. Now, alongside that, there are a lot of smaller innovations in terms of diameter, uh, different lengths, um, different blends, different taste profiles, Um, but they were all cigarettes. And now Lucky Strike means filter tip. Lucky filters, show you plenty of fine tobacco. Yes, they'll sure show you. Lucky Strike, the filter cigarette with fine tobacco. 
Now, tobacco companies are in a race to create what they call reduced-risk products. The part of smoking cigarettes that's really the worst for you is the smoke created by lighting the cigarette on fire. It's the actual combustion. Because of that, companies are on a quest for a product that makes smoking less risky, but it still has to appeal to the consumer. Before we get any further, can you lay out the cast of characters here, Jenny? Of course. The biggest tobacco companies in the world are all thinking about working on these kinds of products. But there are two teams or alliances that have made the most meaningful strides. Philip Morris International and Altria, which actually used to be one company, are one team. And British American Tobacco and Reynolds American, which will soon be one company, are the other. Today, we're going to focus on the Philip Morris International Altria Alliance. You're probably familiar with their most famous brand, Marlboro. Philip Morris International, in particular, has been the most vocal about envisioning a time without cigarettes. A smoke-free future is about saying, what is the issue that we're trying to address here? And the issue is smoke. Smoke as the product of combustion. So if you don't combust, if you don't burn something and don't create smoke, then whether that is through people not smoking, people stopping smoking, or people converting to a product that doesn't have smoke. Those are all elements of a smoke-free future. And a smoke-free future is one where we think we are able, as the industry, to play our role and offer products that are a better choice for smokers. The plan is to supposedly lure smokers away from combustible cigarettes with four different products they call platforms. The first two platforms are known as heat-not-burn products. That means they heat specially formulated tobacco and release nicotine without actually setting it on fire. The first platform, called Icos, has launched in 26 markets around the world, though it's not yet in the U.S. That one is um, using an electronic device which heats the tobacco. So you have a battery, electronics, and a blade, and you insert a mini heat stick which has a special crimped tobacco portion to it and that gets heated um, up to a maximum of around 350 degrees centigrade. That's 662 degrees Fahrenheit. And it gives the user a six minute experience which is somewhat similar to the time frame of smoking a cigarette and during that six minutes or 14 puffs you get to enjoy a, uh, an aerosol which contains the flavor of the heated tobacco, contains nicotine, but contains a drastic reduction in the other compounds of combustion which you would normally find in a cigarette. The Icos gadget comes with a docking station about the size of an iPhone that carries enough charge for 20 heat sticks or the equivalent of a pack of cigarettes. The second platform looks like a regular cigarette, but has a special carbon tip that warms the stick without setting it on fire. It looks more like a cigarette, so it should be an easier switch for a smoker who doesn't want to go to, down an electronic device um, path, and yet allows them to still benefit from this uh, 90 to 95% reduction in uh, harmful smoke compounds. We have a third line, which is really based on the combination of an acid and 
an alkaloid, in this case nicotine, uh, to produce a nicotine-containing aerosol. And we have a fourth line, which is what I would describe as the next generation of e-cigarette. So it's a nicotine liquid aerosol, but using a technology which gives much more precision to the delivery and the consistent taste puff to puff. Platforms two and three will be tested in cities this year. And platform four, called Mesh, has been in tests in Birmingham, England since late 2016. Some of these products have been in development for decades. Philip Morris says they've spent over $3 billion on all of this development. Do people actually use these products? Are they successful? More than 2 million people have converted to Icos from regular cigarettes. It sounds like a lot, but it's compared to a billion people who still smoke cigarettes, according to the World Health Organization. And the WHO predicts more than a billion people will still smoke cigarettes in 2025. That's a lot of smokers. If you're a cigarette company, that seems like a pretty good audience. A billion people are literally addicted to your product. So why change? Competition and opportunity to expand. The story is that a Chinese pharmacist invented the first commercialized e-cigarette in 2003. If no one had done so, tobacco companies could have continued chugging along making cigarettes. But he did. And now tobacco companies have an opportunity. In the combustible business, they're fighting to gain or lose 0.01% market share in any single place. The reduced risk market is wide open. At the moment, we only have a portion of the global share. And our intention clearly would be to switch smokers from our products, but also to switch smokers from other cigarettes that will therefore provide us with a market share and a business opportunity, which is uh, as uh, important in the smoke-free future to our shareholders as it is to society at large. That's why Philip Morris's early success with Icos is a big deal for the company. And Icos is expanding. Philip Morris has said it will be in 30 to 35 markets by the end of 2017. And Icos could be on shelves in the U.S. as soon as a year from now. Why aren't they already here? Because of FDA regulations that came out about a year ago, companies releasing new tobacco products have to apply before that product can hit shelves. So Philip Morris submitted that application, as well as one to be able to put that Icos is a modified risk product on labels. That would be a huge selling point for the gadget. Clearly, the company thinks it's worth it. The modified risk application was more than 2 million pages long. If the applications pass, Altria will sell Icos under a licensing agreement. If the launch is anything like it's been in other countries, we could soon see Icos-specific stores and pop-ups across the country. Well, there are certainly empty retail spaces available. I remember you were saying that they take their stores really seriously. Sort of like one part Apple store and one part Nespresso? Yes, those were actually the inspirations for the stores. A clean, trendy-looking environment where customers are escorted through trials by initiated and spirited employees. That move toward tech caught the eye of Business Week Features reporter Felix Gillette. Felix and Jenny wrote a story for the magazine on the subject. His perspective is different because he isn't constantly enmeshed in this in quite the same way that Jenny is. He writes about all sorts of industries. 
we decided to bring him on the show to find out what drew him to this idea in the first place and what he found most surprising. I don't think every day about the cigarette industry and haven't thought about it for a long time. And when I close my eyes and like picture what is the cigarette industry, it's like southern like a bunch of guys smoking cigarettes and drinking bourbon and like wood paneled room. And it's sort of like the first inkling I got that actually the cigarette industry is just going whole hog in on this notion of we're a technology industry, we're focused on the future. It was just so fascinating to me that's so out of sync with how I envisioned the industry being. Just the degree to which the industry has co-opted the trappings of Silicon Valley, you know, the office culture, having robotics competitions and having foosball tables around, the style, you know, people walking around in hoodies, and the language, like just the fact that people are calling cigarettes platforms to me is just amazing and that, you know, people could be uh, referring to cigarettes as analog and that e-cigarettes are digital. Um, And just the notion that they have, you know, the Altria has this big innovation campus um, and having all these young people come come into the industry. And I thought that was the other thing that was fascinating was this notion that the focus on technology in the tobacco industry has helped recruit all of these young workers who in the past, you know, you get done with college, maybe you're feeling somewhat like you want to help the world, you know, going and working for the cigarette industry historically was probably not the most appealing way to do that. And that, you know, repositioning tobacco as an innovation field and actually reversing the formula. So in fact, if you come to work for us and you start to work on the future of tobacco and work on these futuristic products that are harm reduction based, you'll actually be saving lives. You won't be hurting people. You're actually like doing good for society if you can get people to stop smoking our analog old-fashioned platforms and switch over to these future-forward tobacco gizmos, you'll be helping everybody out. It's pretty pretty fascinating sales pitch. Philip Morris says its new products will only be marketed towards smokers, not people who have quit or people who otherwise wouldn't have started to smoke. Our research to date is showing that the interest of non-smokers or the interest to, uh, to go back of those who have uh, previously smoked and stopped is extremely low. Um, And I think that uh, as long as it remains like that, um, then we could definitely be talking about this being a good choice for society to encourage the use um, of these. Some people question whether that's really the case. Part of this could be an attempt to win back the demographic of people who are smoking less and less, which happens to be wealthier white-collar, highly educated people, and that those same people who are no longer smoking cigarettes, maybe they would consider using some sort of tobacco again if it was delivered in some sort of appealing way. And I think the ICOs and all of the branding around it and all of the retail experience around it and trying to create the sense of like a luxury exclusive, you know, exclusivity is is kind of... It'll be interesting to see if that will have some, um, some impact of bringing back that group of people that otherwise is not going to be using cigarettes in the future. Every single person I talk to about the story 
kind of rolled their eyes to some degree. Like, oh, come on. Like, these guys, they're still making all their money from cigarettes, right? And you're like, yeah, you know, they are. Um, So I think with tobacco, it just seems, you know, part of it is they're coming off of this recent history that is just so dark, you know, that they're, you know, went for so long trying to hide the health problems of cigarettes from the public and creating bogus science. And this notion that not only switching over to to talking about technology being a a way of helping recruit new people, but also just a way of shifting the narrative so that you no longer look at like our dark past, but like it's all about our bright future. just seems like a, 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 you know, really interesting strategy. No matter how honest Big Tobacco is, there's always going to be a certain level of skepticism. But these companies are trying to change the way that they're perceived. Parliament's built-in filter mouthpiece. Here's superior filtering action you can prove to yourself. Just break off the mouthpiece of a Parliament you've smoked and compare the used filter in the mouthpiece with a fresh, clean one. Here are the irritants that have been safely trapped. More tars are filtered out. More pleasure comes through. And the extra-absorbent Parliament filter is absolutely pure. It contains no harmful ingredients. Efficient filtering indeed, yet carefully balanced for easy draw and full enjoyment of Parliament's superb tobaccos. Philip Morris has made statements about, you know, envisioning a future where people no longer smoke. That's great. You know, I can envision a lot of wonderful things in the future, too. I'd like to envision a world where no one's hungry. But thinking about it, envisioning it doesn't actually make it happen. Robin Caval is CEO of the Truth Initiative, a nonprofit dedicated to ending youth smoking. If these products can help people who are long-term smokers who've been trying to quit, have been unable to do it with other things out there, whether that's nicotine replacement therapy or, you know, through other tools, and this actually helps them quit, then that's a good thing. But what, you know, it's still very new, and what we don't know is, so how many people will really help quit versus people who might just stay dual users? Their intention is, well, they're going to, you know, be happy to have it both ways. If you want a reduced risk product, that's great. They'll have that. But if you'd like, you know, a pack of Newports, we'll be happy to sell you that, too. These companies or their predecessors have said they wanted to make better for you products before when that wasn't really the case. Well, let's face it. They don't have a great track record. Uh, they are convicted racketeers, so you have to take everything with some caution. Um, and uh, the other thing is, is not only do they not have a great track record, I mean, we all know about low-tar cigarettes, which were supposed to be reduced risk, and of course, were absolutely not. In some ways, they were worse. Since there is evidence that cigarettes with a lower content of nicotine and tar may be less dangerous, The amounts of these in all marketed brands should be published. And we were able, because we'd already established bystander methods, we were able to assist the government chemist in determining levels of tar and nicotine in all... And I think the reason why public health is being cautious now is because when mild and low tar and all of that happen, the public health community actually got on board 
with the industry and was convinced that this was going to be a good thing and was going to help, you know, end this epidemic and the, you know, tremendous death and disease, you know, one out of two people who smoke long term are going to, you know, will die from a tobacco related illness. So maybe this is different. Youth smoking rates have declined over the last decade and a half. One major question with these new technologies is whether the newness will attract more young people to try products that contain nicotine. When the Truth Campaign first started, that was in 2000, 23 percent, almost a quarter of uh, 8th, 10th, 12th graders, so teens, smoked cigarettes, which is like mind-blowing now to think that many people smoked. Uh, Today, that number for that same group of young people is 6%. It's actually 5.9%. It's pretty low. So that's great. We did see a huge spike in e-cigarette usage among young people over the last several years. It's probably not surprising. It's new. It's interesting. Young people like to experiment. The sort of good news is in the last year, in that same study that looks at 8th, 10th, 12th graders, it's called Monitoring the Future, uh, we saw for the first time declines in e-cigarette usage among young people. But the fact is, is that more kids now are using e-cigarettes than any other form of nicotine. And Nicotine in any way, shape, or form is not good for young people. So we are concerned. If the tobacco companies are right and the reduced-risk products don't draw in non-smokers, there could be a future where health advocates and big tobacco are actually on the same page. Well, you know, I think the one thing I would say is harm reduction is a tool in the tool chest And we do want to see people quit. That is the most important thing. At the same time, I think we need to be wary. And and for the public health community and for the community at large, uh, the general public, to make these folks really, you know, kind of not just talk the talk in terms of harm reduction, but really walk the walk. What are you actually doing to not just market these products, but to demarket, if you will, these really dangerous combustible products? That would make me really happy. I think there is a genuine sense of, of, uh, you know, recognizing the health problems with cigarettes and uh, genuine desire to see, you know, a product that that does less harm in the user. But, yeah, at the same time, you don't see as much as Philip Morris International is talking about, oh, we're inventing the smokeless future. You don't see them going out and, and pulling all their cigarettes off the shelves. Tobacco isn't the only industry that's trying to take a little magic from Silicon Valley to reinvent itself. Not at all. Companies in media, beverages, retail, and more are doing the same thing. But when it comes to big tobacco, the stakes for consumers are higher than in those other places. Right. If they can really figure out how to make a less harmful option that doesn't draw in non-smokers, it could literally mean saving lives. A smoke-free future almost sounds too good to be true. And maybe it is. Yeah, I think it's appropriate to have a fair amount of skepticism. 
Then again, with the technological advancements that have been made, it's possible analog cigarettes will go the way of floppy disks and tape players. That's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. For more, you can find other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Bloomberg.com, The Terminal, or wherever you listen to shows like this. Also make sure to check out our sister podcast, Game Plan, Bloomberg's show about workplace culture. For more of our beat coverage, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jenny M. Kaplan and Lindsay's at LC Ruck. If you're interested in reading more of Felix's work, find him at Felix Gillette. Truth Initiative is at Truth Initiative. Check out Philip Morris International's smoke-free centric website at PMI.com. Material World is produced by Magnus Henriksen and Liz Smith. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Alec McCabe. We'll be back in two weeks. hear that scream did anyone hear a scream just now i just heard someone go ah collaborate for a greener future at the bloomberg green festival a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology science and entertainment hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions july 10th through 13th in seattle Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.